Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are back at Sundance 2021 virtually with our thriller sci-fi lineup. Today we're going to be talking with the crew from The Blazing World, Strawberry Mansion, and we're all going to the World's Fair. For the combined filmsgonewild.com and Bitch Talk, we used to do this for the Daily Buzz uh, radio in Sundance, and this year we're doing it Zoomerific um, with, <laughs> with myself, uh, John Wildman, and my partners, Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim, and The Blazing World. Uh, we've got we've got our director. Uh, well, I, you know, I was gonna, and usually I just say you know director, but um, uh, Carlson Young. I think you pretty much did everything but craft services on the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Writers, writers bar, I think Gaffer Grip uh, and uh, and Vanessa Shaw, one of the stars of the film. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to be here. Yes. All right, well, we've got a lot to talk about, but to start off, for our audience members who have not had a chance to see The Blazing World, because it's uh, about to make a world premiere, um, and uh, so nobody officially has seen this, um, let's, uh, let's, Carlson, why don't you introduce our audience to the film? Uh, sure, so, um, well, the, the Blazing World follows a young woman um, named Margaret as, she is about to take her own life, but before she does, um, she's dragged to this secret inner world by Udo Kier um, to confront the traumas that are keeping her underwater. Um, it's a fun psychological thriller fantasy. It's fun. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's dark. It's dark as hell. But uh, I do think there's light at the end of the tunnel. So hopefully people um, can see that. I, I will start off this way because, again, we've got we've got a lot of avenues that we want to uh, get both of you in on the conversation. But um, but Carlson, I want to start with you because watching it, you know, when I first started it, um, you know, uh, some uh, Justina was, you know, texting me and I go, this is kind of like, you know, it's got a, got a little Nick Rogue, don't look back to it. And that's, and that's, it started off. And then I was like going, holy crap. And now we've gone into Guillermo del Toro. Um, and, uh, <laughs> cool. and, and uh, you know, and which, which, you know, and I was loving, I, I, I love those kind of transitions and I love those kind of influences. And so I want to start off with, and I really do ask this, but what were your influences going into this film? Yeah, um, Guillermo del Toro, absolutely, uh, was one of them. Um, just, you know, Hitchcock, David Lynch. I, I've been watching a lot of Ingmar Bergman over the past, like, five years of conceiving this project. Um, I, I wanted to combine all of my favorite filmmakers uh, what I what I have taken as inspiration from my favorite filmmakers and try to craft something unique and that's my voice creatively um 
you know, I'm a, I'm like a middle earth freak at heart. And, um, I also love horror. So I wanted to, to see what it would be like to combine those things. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it started off as a short that was loosely based on these dreams that you were having. So I'd, I'd love to hear more about how long did you keep a, a dream journal for mm -hmm. and how did you come up with the idea to transition that into dealing with trauma and, and depression? Because yeah. I think they really weave together beautifully. Thank you. Um, I had a dream journal um, for basically as soon as I started having the weird recurring dreams, probably in around uh, yeah, 2015 or so at this point. Um, and they, uh, they were weirdly enough connected to dreams that I uh, had as a child. I'm a lucid dreamer and very, like I have an active dream life. So I, um, you know, I have a handful of things that I like really, really remember from, from dreams um, over the course of my life. So the, this was like strikingly similar to stuff that I had, had experienced as a child and things that I were, was really afraid of. I kept having this um, dream of this really uh, green, field surrounded by this forest and this fog and then this black hole and so I started to dissect the dream and excavate it and try to just figure out what my subconscious was trying to tell me and at the same time I was studying Margaret Cavendish in school um, and reading her you know prose uh, novel The Blazing World which was this like you know utopian kind of reordering of, of her world and um, the sort of fantasy component to her husband's scientific journal, I was just really inspired by her as a woman. And that's around the time I started keeping the dream journal. Um, it's, it took a while for me to, 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 to excavate it to its fullest. It took, you know, years um, and they were hard years. It was, it was a challenge. I had to really fight to, um, not only get the film made, but also just to refine the script and and try to distill it into its clearest form. And you know, this character's fantasy world is is a reflection of trauma. And I that felt that that resonated with me um, and felt kind of modern in a way that Cavendish's was sort of utopian. Like this is not utopian, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna bring, I want to bring Vanessa in um, because uh, Vanessa, um, I don't know if you remember, but I was on your PR team way back in the day um, during the Hills Have Eyes period and, uh, and stuff like that. And, um, and in fact, I remember like watching the first screening of that film at, at MGM with you sitting there with the other publicist and, and what have you. Uh, and you have worked <laughs> And you've worked with some... Uh, just a wide array of some of the top directors and some of the some of the more visionary directors out there, and so I would love to talk have you talk about um, because this is definitely a movie that's got a freaking vision to it. So I would love for you to talk about working with Carlson and being at the service of that and what what that was like for you. Yes. Um... I am so honored to be a part of this film with Carlson because I feel honored to witness a filmmaker in the making. Like, uh, you know, I really don't believe that filmmakers are really bred anymore. <laughs> she mm. just has it already. Mm. Um, and I, I feel like 
upon reading the script, I noticed like how I felt while reading it. I just felt such a visceral um, feeling about each of the scenes and imagery that went along with it. It just felt fully fleshed out. And I'm, I'm sure Carlson would think, you know, differently. She would probably think, oh, I could have done something different here because that's what always an artist thinks. But I just, you know, with the filmmakers and the auteurs I've worked with before, I always feel like they have like a sketch of what it is, but um, our perfection, we're perfectionists in the process of it. But Carlson from the beginning to end had this fully full fleshed out and um, what you read came on screen. And it's just incredible to see that this young woman is gonna be like her own, in her own generation, like she's kind of peerless. Um, you know, there is the Lars von Trier, it kind of came up when I was reading it, like um, his movies and of course, like Darren Aronofsky and all the, the uh, prior directors you mentioned. But while I was like about to, you know, perform and was preparing in our little cabin, <laughs> our little cabins we have on this sprawling property in the plains of Texas, um, I decided to watch a woman under the influence again. And General Rollins, uh, you know, John Cassavetti's film, um, General Rollins character, um, I remember when I watched the first time, I just had never seen any acting like that and felt like this is what I feel Alice is about to go through. She doesn't quite get to the full nervous breakdown, but she's the, the threads are coming through and she's basically afraid um, and when we went to set, this is why I'm telling you the story, is when we went to set, it, it kind of just punched it, like it just went, like punched it out of the window. I felt like we just basically created our own universe, you know, along with Shane, the DP. And there was this, you know, one scene that we're in, um, me and Carlson, and just, I felt like it was the quietest I had been on a set um, in a long time, kind of, how I felt when I was working on Stanley Kubrick, Eyes Wide Shut, there was like a mm. moment where you kind of get into the zone and you feel like you've exercised a lot to get to that place. Um, and with Kubrick, it was like a million times over. <laughs> but with Carlson, <laughs> we kind of got there immediately, um, which is a testament to her. Um, and I believe it's because she worked so hard on it on her own, not like any other every other director has her own method of working but I just found out she had like emotional maps that she drew which I kind of want to see I'm jealous that everybody else saw it they were just in my binder they were just in my binder what is this binder I would I would leave it everywhere. That was the problem. I was like, where have you seen my binder? Maybe there's a key you need to unlock the binder. Just saying, symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I felt like, you know, as for example of this binder of things, you know, it's that's in her world, in her workings. It was just underneath the pressure of the amount of time we had to do this movie, she was fully prepared and ready to do to go into this world where basically you find the beauty in pain um, mm. and you know that's not easy to execute you know uh, 
beautiful pain. That's why um, I just felt honored to be in the presence of that coming to life. And, you know, it shows you if you really work hard and you flesh out your own idea and your own story to the T that, um, you know, someone will resonate with it. But I feel like many, many people will resonate with this one. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to my question that I had for Carlson and Vanessa, if you want to chime in too, but um, going back to the conversation about trauma, um, where did the storyline come from for you and why was it important to talk about um, toxic masculinity and not dealing with trauma and how it manifests for men? Um, I thought that was a really strong storyline for Dermot. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there, there were uh, a lot of parts of my own childhood that were really um, erratic and unpredictable and sometimes tumultuous and violent. And it was, it, it um, you know, I, I realized that I, I heard this, um, that we repeat what we don't repair. So I was really interested in the idea of if we don't confront the things that have happened to us, perhaps in our childhood or otherwise, then there's a real reality in which we pass it down to our children. And, um, you know, it's kind of going back to like Jungian psychology of, of uh, you know, to, to emerge successfully into adulthood, we must slay the mother and father character in our in our in our heads and, and reconcile um, the the mother and father wound. So it uh, at the risk of sounding esoteric, <laughs> I just um, it, it took a lot of personal self reflection for me. A lot of things I was going through personally and just radical acceptance. And mm-hmm. the reason why Alice and Tom are the are like like they're tri- like Margaret has trapped them in her mind as these as these fixtures of um that that are born in this in this trauma and she's in this trauma loop and she she can't get out of it and James Finley uh says that um oh it is it's uh there's there's a reality in which we don't transform trauma Mm. The, the 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 real brutal reality is that um, sometimes the trauma transforms us in really brutal ways. So this was really a meditation on, on that idea. And I think that by the end of it, you know, you see a two degree shift in, um, you know, the character Margaret's mind, where she just makes a different decision. And her parents are like, so open and like, grateful for that because her release of that trauma releases them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I wanted to get into, uh, you shot this during a pandemic. You were all quarantining together, uh, as, as Carlson said, at a wedding resort. I, there, I think there's something poetic about shooting a horror sci-fi while living at a wedding resort. But maybe <laughs> that's just me, but, uh, but I'd love to hear, um, did you guys, what did you do to step away from this film at the end of the day? Or did you just fully immerse? Did it help with the process that you were all living together and going through this literally living side by side? If you want to start, Vanessa? Yeah, I, well, I don't think Carlson had any time. She was just going from thing to thing, the poor thing. Um, 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, Dermot and I were doing yoga in next to a huge oak tree that was probably hundreds of years old and just, you know, basking in the majesty of that oak tree. That really helped. Um, but it was interesting the way that we broke up our scenes. Basically, we were working and then we were done. So I, you know, Dermot had started, you know, I saw him a couple of times doing our yoga to kind of de-stress and decompress. Um, but then he was on and he had to go and do all the scenes with Carlson. And then it was my turn. It was kind of like our turn in the ring with Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> How is she going to beat us up and make, <laughs> like, <true. laughs> make us cry and make us, you know, uh, virtually scary um, in every way. Um, so I, that was what we did. Um, but I think they had a really fun rap party without me. I think I saw something. <laughs> it was a rap party of karaoke. Sorts. Not a real rap party without you, of course. But the only person who was who was there at that time was Udo. The way that we uh, kind of had scheduled um, everyone was there was always one actor on the camp, other than me. Um, so they, you know, everyone was blocked out so as not to have too many too much risk and, and too much overlap um but yeah unfortunately well you know that, that it, 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 <laughs> it's, great, it, it's great it's great that you we can we can finish this talking about udo kier um because the perpetually batshit crazy udo kier i mean it's, <laughs> he's, he's just amazing and awesome and everything that, that you want to to add spice uh, to to your film, uh, Carlson, you've got to talk about working with him. Oh my god! I mean, he's just—he's a legend, obviously. But I mean, he's—he's he's just the most—he's an an insanely intelligent and and kind and just wildly creative man. And you can obviously tell that in his work. But just getting to know him as a human being, I'm like. I mean, he's he's one for the ages. He's he's extremely deep as an actor, and he's got this you know eccentric quality about him that's really just magnetic to watch. I wrote you know I, I wrote it for him. I've been obsessed with him for like ever. So um, yeah, yeah be, he, he adds exactly like you're right. He's the perfect little spice to this recipe and. He really, um, he was the first actor that, you know, we attached. So it was great. Ah, that's amazing. It was, it was so great. He, he basically, once he arrived, he was just like, hello, everyone. And just, yeah. <laughs> <"Poor Yeah. you." laughs> yeah. he completely like, you know, if, if he doesn't know who you are, he's like, who are you? You know, he's just yeah. he's very interested in knowing who everyone is and around him. We, uh, okay. uh Where's the party? Where's the fun? <laughs> it's amazing. We, we had, uh, when I was at Lincoln Center, we had a screening of the film, The Theater Bazaar, which he was one of the stars of. And it was on Halloween night and it snowed that evening in New York City. And Udo was not happy with, how, with, with the audience because we hadn't filled the house completely. So he went out on Broadway <laughs> and sold tickets himself personally. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, you know, and he comes and says, I don't understand. Why are not people here? You know, and, and, and it was hilarious. But, 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 but listen, I mean, this film, I, again, you know, and, and I don't say that lightly, that, that there clearly is a, a, a vision here. It's just got, I mean, we couldn't even, we didn't get into the production design. It's just got all kinds of stuff working on its behalf, including just a fantastic a trio of actors uh, at your service, Carlson, with Vanessa, Dermot, and Udo. Congratulations on the world premiere uh, of The Blazing World at Sundance, and uh, and thank you for being on Films Gone Wild and Bitch Talk. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. For Sundance 2021, we're going to be talking to our twosome from uh, Strawberry Mansion, Albert Burney and uh, Kentucker Audley, um, our co-directors and co-everything. We've got a lot to talk about with this this freaking movie that you two came up with. So um, <laughs> let's start off with uh, one of you. Uh, introduce our audience who has not had a chance to see it. Um, describe as much as you can, <laughs> very quickly, um, what Strawberry Mansion is about. Okay, well, so just briefly, it takes place in a world where the government records and taxes your dreams. Uh, our story follows a, a dream auditor who goes to this uh, remote house of this um, uh, this eccentric woman in her 80s, and she hasn't paid on her taxes on her dreams for many years, and our tax auditor, our dream auditor, has to go into her dreams and sort of bring this uh, issue to close this issue. And, and, and going into her dreams, he sort of stumbles into the secret about her life and it sort of gives him the opportunity to reinvent himself in a way. Uh, it always comes out different. That's how it came out this time. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a play, it's sort of like a dark sci fi dystopian setup with a very playful, lighthearted execution. Yeah. But it, it is, it's, it's an amazingly expansive. Fanciful universe uh, that that you that you guys have come up with on this, and I was uh, uh, joking with someone after I watched the movie, and I said, "I said I'm going to take these guys to task because there was about a half hour left in the movie, and the character says uh, 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 says in fact uh, to uh, to your character, Kentucker, this may sound crazy, and I'm going, no, 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 you're not allowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. After everything that we've seen." You don't. You don't get to at that point to go. This might sound crazy, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's fun to play with those elements of like we know that how strange this is and how bizarre it is to, to you know, just present these things as in, in a serious kind of way. Like, mm -hmm. there's so much sincerity throughout the movie that people are like, well, "Am I? This is absurd and ridiculous." But we're, they're treating it like it's not. So I think that's a fun line to play with. Yeah, and like you know. It being a kind of the setup of dreams are recorded and taxed, but not really like going too much more into that. You know, it's like we give you this basic like the world we're in, but then we're kind of more interested in like what's happening a little bit over here to the side and like, you know, exploring just like what a dream feels like to be lost in and all these ideas. But like, you know, we don't really want to get like, you know, too stuck on what is it like to actually audit a dream? Like, what is that like? You know, like that's another person's movie maybe that would be great. But, you know, we're just kind of like we want to get swept up in this adventure and uh, you know, hopefully in 90 minutes, take you on a little journey and give you some feelings and emotions at the end. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm sorry that we, 
it's such a strange movie, but um, please just try not to hate us as much. You know. <laughs> and I know Aaron has got a lot to, to, to get into, but the one thing I do want to ask you first to start off with, because I was curious watching this, they blown away by it. Was there any ideas that did not make it into the movie? Because I okay. can't imagine what they were. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There was, there was plenty. I mean, we had someone recently who was like, how did you keep from just putting everything into this movie? Like every idea you had. And it's like, well, we kind of, and then, yeah, there's there's whole scenes that maybe on the, you know, Blu-ray director's cut will have about 10 deleted scenes and you'll say, oh, wow, there's a whole different setup in the desert. And then there's a whole scene, you know, in this place, um, you know, yeah. We, we tried to, there were a lot of lost in a dream, fever dream moments of sequences that didn't really play in the, the, the emotional thread of the through line of the movie but we just loved so much and it was hard to to cut some of those out because we beginning to tell this movie we just thought it, we just wanted it to feel like getting lost in a dream and and it's, and it, it it takes a while to get there where you're sort of like i'm just i, I don't know where i am what wh which way's up like if i'm asleep or uh, awake and you know it, it's it's a little goes a long way in the dream uh, the, the the dream re the dream realm. So even though it feels very strange, there was a lot more that we could have hmm. pop popped in there that would have made it feel even more disorienting. But yeah. Well, first of all, I want to ask my co-host here, John. Are you in a pink room intentionally for this yeah. interview, or I'm catching the vibe? <laughs> Strawberry Mansion. Exactly well, you know, so each of the rooms in my house are themed. Um, and this is my right. 60s, 70s room. And yeah, and the fact that it was pink, I thought, holy crap, that's just perfect. Uh, for yeah. yeah, all right, all right, so it's intentional. Um, my question is this, I read that the script uh, was written about 10 years ago. Uh, how much did it change in the last 10 years? And did anything in the last four years influence the rewrites of the script? Oh yeah, great question. <laughs> um, yeah, so the original idea was yeah, over a decade ago. And recently I went back and I found that script. I wanted just to see what it was. And I was shocked how the beginning was so similar, like kind of this tax auditor, you know, doing, ordering some fast food chicken and then going to this house. And, yeah. and some of the lines were the exact same lines. So definitely certain things did not change. It was kind of there, but so much was added. You know, Kentucker came on board like four or five years ago and we, that was, that really gave the movie kind of its like, second life or, or like made it what it is uh, in terms of like how do we package this concept of dream recording into this um thing and you know i don't know the last four years you know it it's tough to like know how it really influenced. i don't know if you have an idea no well i i mean i i think it's just this idea of uh of ad targeting and algorithm based sort of like online social media um uh, uh, like, you know, you say something on, you say something that you're not, you're not, you don't, you don't search for it and you don't think that like you didn't buy something, uh, with your credit card. And then you're like, you get an ad on, on Instagram. That's like for the thing you were talking about. You're like, well, how did they, uh, it's just sort of these unsettling sort of post surveillance landscape, um, uh, issues that I think people are more and more dealing with and thinking like, where does that end? You know? it probably doesn't end until it just gets into your head and you're sleeping, you know, it's like, yeah. it seems like that's the the only way to end it in this. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like it just, we kept sort of finding these new um, unsettling, uh, uh, like 
the the way that the, the modern world works, not necessarily the last four years, but just this very consume post consumer um, uh, overconsumption landscape that we've, we've been in for a while, it's just sort of like oh, you, there's constant reminders of this. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you too about your working relationship, um, both in the development and on set, um, because you know there's one thing like you know when you are uh, directing yourself um, and you're on screen there's a million things going through your head and yet you're also trying to um, you know take care of the character you're playing um, and in this case uh, you know Kentucker you know you, you've got you know Albert there as you know to, to team up with and I would love to get like some real details on how you guys handled that day in day out to take care of all the stuff that you need to take care of you know to, 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 to make sure that all the boxes are checked. Yeah, well, it's it, you know we we we're envious of of the brother duos of our other like the Cohen brothers and uh, and these these uh, you yeah. know these bro like it seems like like oh it must be much easier to make a movie as two people and we never I never had a brother and I always wanted a brother and I you know and so I think I think meeting Albert and coming becoming friends I'm like oh, okay uh, and we get along and it's such we never fight and it's sort of like this this like amiable situation that yeah that i don't think that um I, and also uh oh Avery, you want to talk well yeah i mean you know i think just making a movie an indie movie it's always it's just so hard anyway so it's just so nice to know that you've got somebody who's there on side no matter what you know it's like all these things are going to be thrown at us and coming at us from different angles but we've like we have this little core and i think Specifically, like the two of us have very different strengths. We, you know, we have a lot of overlap and we like a lot of the same influences and stuff. But like, I come from more of like an animated background, like, um, you know, painting and, and sculpture and kind of getting down and dirty with the props and things. And Kentucker's coming from, you know, more of like a dramatic and acting background. Um, and so, you know, I love when we meet, you know, it's like, I'll handle this stuff, you handle that stuff, you know, it's like, He'll go off and talk to the other actors and kind of like get them in the right place and I can just go talk to the art team and get them in the right place and you know we're obviously consulting back and forth throughout all that but um, yeah I think our, our different strengths kind of work well together and you know we've throughout we've done two films together now and maybe on both films there's one or two times I can remember where we had a different idea for something but um, usually it comes early in the in the shoot and we're just kind of like getting into our rhythms and uh, you know we find the middle ground or we find you know what we're going to do and uh yeah it's just been really easy and kind of like uh, uh i don't know great collaboration you know where we sometimes joke like maybe we need a third person let's get like let's get another head in here you know why not um add directors each movie yeah. is just like you know <laughs> all right can i talk to one out of the 17 directors yeah. here? <laughs> that doesn't sound difficult at all right um i wanted <laughs> to ask you guys <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about uh, behind the scenes, about the soundtrack, the set design, and the costuming. Can you can you both talk about that? Because obviously, it's it's another theme of the film. Yeah. Um, well, for the music, first off, we you know we worked with Dan Deacon, who is a Baltimore musician and a friend, and um, yeah, that was just a great that was a dream. You know, he he kind of understood the movie more than we did. He would watch it and send over these like emails with these paragraphs of kind of like, this is what I'm thinking for this scene. And here's the the themes. And this is what I feel like the, the music could do for this part. And we would both just be like, Whoa, wow. Like that's like, he's definitely 
dug into that scene more than we ever have. You know, he's thought put more thought into it. So he was amazing and just we kind of gave him free reign and he would give us some demos and we would say we love this, keep going. And um, yeah, so, it was the first yeah. time we had worked with a, a composer that would just pick, you know, scoring the whole film at, as you know as a finished product, and it was really like can't imagine going back now and yeah and it, it was inc such an incredible part of the process in terms of our uh visual elements we had a, a lot of other incredible collaborators and i guess the the credo was just try to do th everything as, as handmade as possible and try to really inject the um the film with textures and and, and practical effects and stop motion animations and using miniatures and and uh and so we we were able to collaborate with a lot of cool stop motion animators and um, and and also we had incredible mask makers that we were, we worked with that were mm -hmm. we they commissioned these really beautiful masks. And yeah, they they're called Clockwork Creature and they're actually also based out of Baltimore. And they did four masks for us. They did the the werewolf, the blue demon, and the two rat sailors. And I've been fans of those for years. Before I even knew they were in Baltimore, I like followed them on Twitter, and I was like, "These masks look so great! I would love to put these in a film one day." Um, and then, you know, years later, realizing, "Wow, they're like, you know, five miles away. They're in they're in Towson, Maryland, right down the road from where I live." Um, so it started kind of like a correspondence with them, and we're, yeah, just so happy that they, uh, you know, could do it with their schedule. I mean, they're very sought after. Like they, they're everybody wants their masks. So the fact that we could get them to to make four for us, and then actually they performed the two rat sailors. They were underneath oh, there okay. yeah because we, we you know they made they made the other mask and i saw the actors wear them and then they they put them on and i was like they really know how to make those masks come alive and mm -hmm. um that was i think yeah it was so fun any day we were filming the rat sailors was just like a blast they were just so fun <laughs> in there <laughs> uh then i also want to talk about um the relationship to independent film because uh the two of you are solidly in like if, if i if i had to like you know uh, throw up some names on people to, you know, to be on panels to talk about what is actually independent film versus um, sometimes what we go, well, it's independent, but they had a lot of money, um, you know, or, you know, or, or things like this. And, you know, and I look at the executive producer list you guys have on this film and, and obviously the actors, people like Reed Bernie and Penny and, and what have you that, you know, that, that are veteran presences in, in, in indie film. I would love for the two of you to talk in a real sense about what it takes to make a movie like this prior to this Silvio or, or, or what have you from your perspective, because if anybody knows from start to scratch, from scratch to, you know, to, to uh, picture lock, how to pull it off. It's the two of you. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Like this, this idea of indie film gets, it's tossed around a lot and it means so many different things to many different people. And, and what we commonly refer to indie these days is not really independent, you know, it's sort of like the more and more like any indie, indie films are like Oscar films and they're sort of one and the same. But I, I like this idea of operating from a truly kind of um, removed place from the movie industry. And we're, we're such a, we're such outsiders and, 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 and like do it, do it yourselfers. And we love to do everything uh, ourselves, and, and, and um, we edit ourselves. We like, we, you know, we have this network of people that we like to collaborate with that are completely removed from the the larger movie industry. But it is, um, 
I don't know. It's it, it's a, it's a it's a deep dark question in terms of what it is about indie films that we're kind of resisting or rebelling against. But yeah, I, I mean, for me, I've always like I just love making things like in my in my house or with my friends or my neighborhood. You know, it really comes from an idea of just like that's how I grew up making these little movies on a camcorder and like and being a fan of animation and like being able to do it all myself and um, you know never like. There's always like when when we would when I would give the story mansion script to people they would say, how, you know this is a twenty million dollar film how how are you going to make this and sure there's a version of it that that would cost twenty million or thirty million dollars yeah you know that would be a fine movie but for me the the fun is like how can we make this for less than that and how can we make this in our backyard with with our you know the people that are local that are our friends and and how can we bring outside people into that like Penny and and Reed and actors you know from Grace is in Toronto and you know our animators are on the West Coast like you you bring them into your kind of scene but you still you know make it about where you are and it's like you know I, I teach uh, film students I'm always saying like what what is available to you what can you know what locations do you have what props can you get what costumes are you know just like what's in your backyard and instead of just like, well, I want to make this movie, but I won't be able to because it's going to cost me so much. It's like, well, what's the movie you can make with what you've got? That to me is like true indie, you know? And that to me is what is what I love about art in general. It's just people that are doing it because they love to do it and they have to do it. And they're not waiting for someone to come and, you know, give them permission to do it. They're going to just uh, find a way to do it. And that's that's where the passion comes through. And so that, that's what it is to me, true indie. Uh, I, I could not agree more, and and I I could not celebrate this film uh, anymore. Again, Strawberry Mansion. It is an absolute joy. Sometimes a dark joy, but it's a joy. Uh, and we've been talking to uh, Albert Bernie. We've been talking to Kentucker Audley. Uh, guys, thank you for uh, for being on Films Gone Wild and Bitch Talk. Well, thanks yeah, so thank you so much, John. Thank, thank you. you. And yeah, yeah, this was so fun. And uh, thanks for watching and, and asking questions. Well, here we go. We are on filmsgonewild.com and Bitch Talk. Uh, I'm John Wildman, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim. And we are virtually at Sundance 2021. And we this is this one is a fun one for me. One because it's a it's a type of film that's so up my alley, but also because the director is a friend, Jane Schoenbrunn, and we have Anna Cobb. We're being introduced to in this film. And for this interview and for the film, we're all going to the World's Fair. All right. So, Jane, let's start off with you uh, because we always begin these, uh, these segments um, by having our filmmaker introduce the audience who hasn't seen the movie yet. Tell them what the movie's about. We're all going to the World's Fair, uh, which is my first feature film, is um, a film about a young woman, uh, participating in an online horror role-playing game inspired by the creepy pasta community, which is a real community of people online who essentially tell each other and collaboratively create really elaborate and as scary as possible uh, stories, um, sort of like the internet's version of uh, campfire tales. Um, and 
the movie itself is really interested, not so much in like big scares, but in exploring emotionally, um, you know, creating a space to explore the internet and intimate relationships on the internet, but also um, to express um, sort of a, um, a coming of age and, and, and it, it, to, to explore this sort of creative expression online. Well, and, and it also, I'll tell you, um, what I was loving about it is I love Descent into Madness films. And, 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 and this film, um, you know, it, it, it takes us down a path where we're questioning what we're watching. And, um, and with Anna's character, we're like going, holy crap, what's going on with her? And, and, and just what is she gonna be capable of and what's going on? But I just wanted to say, I was digging it. And I will also say, because I, I don't, we don't want to give spoilers away, but I will say this, Poe didn't deserve that. Okay, let me just say right now. I agree. I 100% agree. I agree. I agree. Poe didn't deserve that. But, you know. we, were all just, we were all just texting. Well, now we're really getting into spoiler territories, but um, we were all just texting each other pictures of, uh, of Poe's eyes. We all kept Poe's eyes as little souvenirs. Oh, but see, that's real life. Do we always get what we deserve? No, you know, and and I, I have to preface this by saying I watched it at two in the morning, which maybe was a mistake, perfect. but or no. maybe it was perfect <laughs> because I was just seeing was Anna's I was seeing Anna's face in the shadows and it just, just stayed with me. But but really after watching it, I, I I started asking myself a lot of questions about even my own identity and how I present myself and, and how that's perceived to people. And a lot of that is linked with how we present ourselves online versus how we really are. And, you know, we, we, we're used to not trusting other people. Are they telling the truth? But when it comes to a point where can I trust myself and, and what I'm feeling that just, it really just, was that an intended uh, result of watching the film? And, and, and I would love to talk about how you, you channeled that, that sort of, sort of madness. So if, if you want to start Jane, if that was an intended or was it a 2 a.m. result? <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the film is really um, all about performance, in my opinion, and it, it, it's all about, um, I, th I think if you go into the film and, and watch the film, never forgetting that you're watching a movie where um, we're never quite sure what's going on on the other side of the character's eyes, um, and we're never quite sure what is acting and what is genuine, I think that um, there's a lot to dig into um, with, with the movie, and, um, you know, so much of... Uh, the movie is like, I'm sure that Casey Anna's character in the film is just as big a fan of Descent into Madness films as you are, John. And, um, you know, it's supposed to be a movie not just about horror, but about people who love horror and who are using the sort of genre tropes of horror to try to express themselves. The big thing with me was that thinking about like, what does it take to make like a good person convert into something that they were never supposed to be? And what was kind of like the thing that led them to that point. That's always the most interesting point uh, and part of the story to look at, at least for me. And that's the way that I really was able to channel Casey's energy was not looking at what was necessarily on the script, but what were the days that uh, Casey had to endure or what people did she meet that kind of shaped her perspective on the world? Because it always is kind of, if you hate the world, you probably are going through it within your own self internally you probably are not a great fan of yourself at least that's the way it works for me I love myself now and I love the world now but that was not necessarily that when I was in ninth grade for example 
Yeah, and um, I I just finished watching the film this morning, so very different from Ange, but uh, very visceral um, and emotional, I think. And I know it's a horror film, but I, I want to know if Jane and Anna can talk about the loneliness in the film and um, yeah, the intention of that. Yeah, you know, it, it for me, it's um, a lot of a lot of conceiving of the film at its earlier earliest moments before I even had created the character of Casey. Um, was about trying to figure out what I wanted to express about the experience of the internet. Um, and, you know, the internet is this lonely place in a lot of ways where the only reason we're there is because of other people, you know, and the only reason we're there, I think, is to sort of uh, be a part of a bigger global something, um, you know, or part of something very personal with one or several other people. Um, but there's this screen in between us. Um, and, you know, there's this, anonymity and there's this um, strange feeling like I've been doing um, a lot of virtual parties and you know around Sundance all these zooms and it's just so strange to be like it's 2 a.m like I'm at a bar with friends and we're just like joking and talking and uh, then we say good night and I close my computer and all of a sudden it's just like snap your fingers I'm alone in my room again um, and that feeling of like push losing yourself in a screen and the reality to us, it feels so personal and social and intimate. But in another reality, it's just like this interview right now. It's just me alone in a living room staring <laughs> into a piece of, you know, piece of plastic and metal. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about uh, uh, making this movie. And Anna, I mean, you know, anytime, of course, when you're acting, um, you know, you've got to deliver, uh, you know, for film. Uh, a lot of texture and a lot of nuance um, and, you know, and, and, and a lot of stuff that, that is very minute and specific. And for you, it's just your face and in, 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 in a lot of this uh, that, that we're watching. And I would love for you to talk about uh, how you and Jane worked to get that precision um, to make sure because it is so, every twitch of your eyebrows, every glance off to the side, everything is so freaking important in this film. Uh, it's vital. So please talk about that. All right. Thank you. It's, it's the, you touched on a point that I think is very important that it's kind of like the tiniest, uh, most minute things that we do that really, uh, as an actor, it really shows a lot. Thank you. But uh, well, with Jane, Jane was a person that was very, um, as in like very patient. And she allowed me to have a lot of time months before filming to actually really understand who Casey was from front to back so that by the time we actually got on set, it was a state of mind. I was not Anna Cobb, like I was a minor when we were filming, I was 17 and my mom was there. And I, I told my mom, I said, I'm not Anna. I, I do not want to have any recollection of the, my past world. So it was really just about, um, reacting to everything as it is like I've never memorized this script it was about me never like taking it in like I knew what was going to happen next everything was a blank uh, space so I think probably the reason why uh, people feel as though it was very raw and like on the spot in the moment is because I didn't even uh, I didn't even know who Anna Cobb was at that moment it was a complete state of mind and it was thanks to Jane. She prepared me for it a long time in advance. So yeah. okay. All right, Jane. So talk talk about it from you know from your perspective because again, you know, you'll you know, you'll do a take 
and then you go, ah, I just want just this little other thing here. So, so talk about how you, you know, how, how you work with Anna on that front. We just found a common language and a common understanding of the character. And I tried really hard to give her a lot of space and freedom to make it her own and to fill in blanks that like I didn't want filled in even in my own brain. Um, we worked incredibly hard and it was to me the most important part of the entire process were those like literally months that we spent talking about each scene, rehearsing so that when we did get to set, like we would know it so well that we could just you know, be so versatile and, and, and will, you know, like we had it memorized, so we didn't need to have it memorized. You know, it was, it was, it was so second nature by that point that we were able to like experiment and find new fun, exciting things. And, you know, I think that's why it feels so subtle. And, you know, it's also just because Anna is incredibly, incredibly talented and, you know, like wise beyond her years and her psychological understanding of the character was wise beyond her years, but also just her craft and, her ability to channel, you know, something that I think actors go their whole life trying, trying to find. And she's like, it's just in her, you know, she's like the, she's the full package. She's like an incredibly hard, dedicated worker. And it just, her natural gift is incredible. Thank you, Jade. God bless you, Jade. Jade, let me tell you something. The reason I was able to act good is because I was able to be vulnerable and I was able to show sides of myself that everybody kind of feels uncomfortable showing because Jane is the most open-minded, kind person you'll ever meet in your fucking life. I love Jane. Thank you, Jane. I guess we're allowed to curse on a podcast called uh, Bitch Talk, right? Yeah, of course. Yes. Are I'm you sorry. kidding me? No, don't I'm be. So, we the welcome, more the merrier. We welcome yeah. the swearing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And and I just yeah on on the coattails of that, Anna just really a fearless performance. And I did not miss anyone else on screen. I I was happy to have just be watching you and it was and, and zoomed zoomed in on everything you were doing. And and I think your your brave performance, as you said, was a reflection of Jane's brave directing and and even from the start I'd like to talk about funding you know you 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 talk about wanting to make a film for yourself and your friends and we talk all the time about these gatekeepers these hollywood gatekeepers you know that won't let you in and and I would love for our listeners to hear how you made this film and how important it was for you to to stay true to your vision and not have to answer to those gatekeepers you know it was the idea from the beginning going back half a decade almost when i started working up the courage to think about making my first film um i've been a part of the film world for a long time you know i've worked in the industry i've produced projects i've collaborated with a lot of different filmmakers who've gone on to make films of all kinds and films of all budget sizes um and i just thought about everything i had learned and the experiences that i had seen a lot of friends have on their first film, I also thought a lot about like my personality and the kind of work that I could make where I really thought that creatively I would be able to thrive. And, um, you know, from the very long before I put a single word on the page, I sort of, I wouldn't call them limitations, but I set out to write a film that I knew I wouldn't have to compromise on that like, and thankfully we didn't end up in this position, but that in a world where I really needed to, I would probably be able to do that thing where I just like bought a nice lens from my cell phone, brought a couple friends out into the woods and, and made a movie. Um, this is not that version of the movie. Thankfully we did find funders to help us make it bigger. And, you know, I think better than that version would have been. Um, <laughs> But I, I wanted to not act out of fear because I've just seen it happen, you know, where you write something really personal and some really 
confident person tells you it's not commercial or that you need to cast this type of person or that it needs this sort of ending. Um, I wanted to make something from like the heart and from the gut. And, um, and so, you know, the process of actually finding the money, we got really lucky. And um, I did this thing that I've done once or twice before in my life where I just write a lot of humiliating emails to anyone who's ever been nice to me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> same. Yep. Same. <laughs> we all know the feeling. Yes. <laughs> anyone who's anyone who's ever said something nice about my work I sent an email that was basically just like hey I have this thing we're looking for money uh we um you know like we that doesn't mean I need money from you but do you know anyone who knows anyone who knows yep. anyone and, yep. you know this eventually led us to um two people who've become like two of my closest friends through the making of this movie um who run a production company called Dweck Productions which is you know young and just starting out but run by people who are like completely trustworthy and did nothing but support me emotionally and creatively and yes, financially. Um, and really gave me this like dream experience of like getting to make a movie without having to worry about all of the other stuff. You know, they created this safe space and bubble and you know, that let us make a movie that I think is as special as it is. Well, you know, I think the film is such a natural progression uh, for you, for the for both the, the the films that you've promoted in the past and the films that you 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 know the the, the projects and films that you've been involved in, in the past, um, and 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 I could not give it a higher compliment by saying that that it's a natural progression. Thank you, Brian. Uh, That's so sweet. No, and 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 I also want to say because you know, we need to wrap up, but I but I I have to mention this that watching the film, uh, Anna, I had in my mind that. I had not seen a debut like this or an introduction um, of, of an actor or an actress um, since Elliot Page in Hard Candy. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, 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 and to that, I can't, you know, I, you know that, that's, that's the highest praise that I could give. Um, so so God, congratulations. God bless you, John. That, that, is, that is the highest praise. You, I don't deserve that praise, but thank <laughs> you. That is, that is beautiful. Well, I'm going to remember you, that. Anna, you do deserve thank that you. praise. I mean, it's... Well, Anna's sick. Anna tells me to like stop complimenting her, but I can't stop because it's like, I just, the amount that she put into this, uh, no. you know, like I remember when we first cast her off of like one audition, I was showing it to filmmaker friends and everyone I showed it to was just like, do you know how lucky you got finding this person? Absolutely. Really yeah. Compelling as hell. I mean, it's just really, really good. And, and again, uh, the film is we're all going to the World's Fair. And anybody watching this interview, if you get a chance to go to the World's Fair via this movie, please do. Um, again, we've been talking to uh, the, the director, Jane Schoenbrunn. We've been talking to Anna Cobb. Uh, congratulations on Sundance. And thank you both for taking time to be on our show. Thank, thank you, you all. so much. Thank you guys so much. Thanks again to the crew from all these films for joining us. And we'll see you tomorrow, where our theme will be documentaries. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.